0: Go with us to the book of Ephesians tonight, Ephesians chapter number three, and uh, we'll keep you long tonight, Ephesians chapter number three, and uh, we'll read a few verses of scripture. If you'll stand with us and have prayer, then you can be seated. Ephesians chapter three, and we we'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible said, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me to you, Word, how that my revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, verse number four, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me whom less than the least of all saints is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of of him heavenly father lord i do ask you these next few moments if you would help us to Uh, preach with liberty. I pray that you'd give us a physical touch and a spiritual touch tonight. I ask you to bless, uh, Lord, the message, and Lord, may we open our hearts and receive with meekness the engrafted word. Thank you for every song that's been sung, the offering that has uh, been given tonight. Bless both the gift and the giver. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for a place to worship, and may you be glorified, and we'll love you, and we'll praise you, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen, amen. You can be seated tonight. I want you to notice in these verses of scripture tonight that Paul unveils the church in this chapter as one of the great mysteries of the Bible. Now, if you go back and you think about all the mysteries that there is uh, in the word of God, the Bible is filled with these mysteries. In Matthew chapter number 13, there's the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven as Jesus gave those parables there, the parables of Matthew chapter 13. In Romans chapter 11, there's the mystery of the Jewish blindness that those blinders are on the Jews but one day those blinders are going to be taken off at the second coming and the Bible says in the book of Revelation that a nation is going to be born in a day amen in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 uh, Paul reveals the mystery of the resurrection of the saints in the rapture how that my friend they're going to come up out of the grave thank God and what a day that's going to be as Paul said behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment and the twinkling of an eye and then in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, there's the mystery of the church as a bride uh, in Colossians chapter 1 there's the mystery of Christ in the believer in Ephesians chapter number 6 there is the mystery of the gospel amen in Colossians chapter 2 there's the mystery of God in Christ uh, as the Bible said that you are hid uh, in Christ in God amen in 1st Timothy chapter number 3 there's the mystery of God Amen. And then there's the mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians chapter number two. There's the mystery of the seven stars in Revelation chapter one and verse number 20. And then in Revelation chapter 17, there's the mystery of Babylon. But here in Ephesians chapter number three, there is the mystery of the church, amen? And when you think about this mystery, and you think about the Bible, the book that we hold in our hand tonight, do you realize how amazing the word of God is, amen? I mean, there is no book on any shelf anywhere in this world that can ever compare to the Bible, amen? When you think about this book tonight, I would say it is a practical book, isn't that right? And it contains all the principles that we need for life, amen? And then it's a spiritual book. It is the book, my friend, that will bring you to the door of salvation and will ultimately take you through through the gates of heaven, amen? It is a spiritual book that will take a natural man and turn him into a spiritual man, or should I say a new man, isn't that right? And so it is a spiritual book. It is a historical book, amen? I'm telling you, if you take Daniel chapter 11, and of course all the Bible is filled with history, but if you take Daniel chapter 11, and you take, my friend, a history book, and you lay them side by side, guess what? Uh, long before uh, the history books could ever catch up with the Bible. uh, Daniel saw prophecy, which is history in advance, amen? And Daniel spoke about things to come uh, and what would take place. uh, And guess what? It didn't just happen, but it happened exactly the way that God said it would happen, amen? To the very T and to the very letter. So it is a historical book. It is a prophetic book, amen? And it contains, of the great prophecies of the past and the great prophecies of the present that were seen come to pass and the great prophecies of the future, amen? It is a prophetic book, but then it is a Jewish book, isn't that right? Brother Samuel and me was talking about it today. This Bible is a Jewish book. Brother, if you go back to the Old Testament, everything that God had to say in the Old Testament, he said it in Hebrew, isn't that right? He raised up the prophets. He raised up uh, uh, my friend. Uh, he gave the law. He raised up the prophets, uh, and God spoke everything, whatever He had to say. He had to say. Uh, he had to say it in Hebrew. It contains uh, the history of the Hebrew nation. I mean, the Old Testament. It talks about the blessings and the covenants uh, and the wanderings of the Jewish people. It talks about uh, the captivity and the bondage uh, and the repentance of the Jewish people. It talks about the unfaith faithfulness of the Jewish nation and the unconditional love that God had for those people in spite of who they were. This is a Jewish book, isn't that right? Right. The Old Testament, the prophets, God raised up, God spoke through this nation, the Jews. You've got it all through the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the poetic book, the books, the historical books, uh, uh, listen, the, uh, the, the major, the minor prophets, the uh, 400 years of silence and the book of Matthew. Matthew was a Jew. Then the book of Mark. Mark was half Jew and half Gentile. Then the book of Luke, Luke was a Gentile. Do you see what's happening? The Old Testament is all Jew. 400 years of silence. Then the first book that we have, I know that they're not in chronological order, but just go with me through this canon of scriptures. In Matthew, we've just all at least the king of the Jews, amen. And then it's Jew and it's part Gentile. And then it's Luke, it's all Gentile. When you get to the book of John, guess what? It opens up to the whole world. And then in the book of Acts, you've got the church. And then you've got the church epistles. But hang on, God is not. Not through with the Jew, Amen. Because you have got those church epistles, uh, those Gentile. Uh, uh, my friend that spoke to the church what we're reading about tonight. But the closer you get to Revelation, it starts getting Jewish all over again. You've got James and First Peter and Second Peter, and you've got Jude, Amen, and you've got Hebrews. Uh, it starts. We start getting back on some Jewish ground. And when you get to Revelation, guess what? It's not about the Jew. It's not about the Gentile. It's about Jesus. Amen, my friend, it's about the unveiling and the revelation, the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is not through with the Jew. The church is raptured out in chapter four and those seven years of tribulation are described in vivid detail from chapter number five to chapter number 19. It's all about the Jew again. And the tribulation period is to purge Israel from her unbelief. And to bring about a Jewish nation again and one day the world will be ruled by a Jew. And Jerusalem will be the capital of this world. God brings everything back full circle, doesn't he? What's amazing when you think about where we're at in this text tonight, is that whenever we're on Jewish ground in the Old Testament, we're on Gentile ground here in this New Testament, but whenever a Jew went to Jerusalem, there's many things we could say tonight about this. I'll say two or three things and jump right into this text, but it's important for this text tonight. You see, when you think about it tonight, and we think about uh, uh, the Jews, and we think about the Gentile, and we think about the mystery of the church, uh, I'm getting to that point here in just a moment. But I want you to see this. My friend, there's three key things that we must understand in order to understand this text this morning or this evening. Number one, we must think about the mighty mountain peaks of prophecy because in the Old Testament, we had the prophecy of his birth. We had the prophecy. You see, they could see the cradle. They could see the birth. They could see the cross, Isaiah 53. They could see the crown, the millennial day. They were given all all these great prophecies, God had blessed them with prophecy. Mountain peaks of prophecy. Whenever a Jew saw Jerusalem and they saw that mountain range that went around it, two things came to their mind. What had been and what shall be. They saw history and they saw prophecy. They saw what had taken place what was going to take place that's why they said uh, when they saw Tabor if they was looking at Tabor or if they was looking at Mount Hermon or if they was looking at Horeb or Nebo, whichever mountain it was uh, uh, there was something that either had taken place or there was something that was going to take place that's why the psalmist said as the mountains are around about Jerusalem so is the Lord about his people because they weren't just mountain peaks uh, they were mountain peaks of his They were mountain peaks of prophecy. That property, that land, it meant something to the Jew. It meant something to Jehovah, and it still does today, the mountain peaks of prophecy. When I think about this book, and I think about the Old Testament, I not only think about the mountain peaks of prophecy, but I think about the many perspectives of prophecy. Do you realize tonight that God, could have gave all of his prophecy to one prophet, all that we'd ever needed. He could have raised up one prophet and to that one prophet, he could have gave him everything. He could have told him about the cradle, the birth of Christ. He could have told him about the cross. He could have told him about the crown, that millennial day. He could have gave every bit of it to him. He could have had Moses wrote it all down, but he didn't do that. Many personalities, many different perspectives. Uh, uh, God spoke through dispensations of time, uh, but yet there's uh, it's perfect. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Not every, not one prophecy failed. Every prophecy came to pass or is going to come to pass the way that our Creator said that it would. Many perspectives. Moses in 1451 BC, think about that. In Deuteronomy chapter number four, he wrote about the great tribulation. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18, he wrote about the birth of Christ. Moses could see the birth of Christ 1,451 years before it came to pass. Jonah wrote about it 862 years before it came to pass. Joel wrote about it 800 years. In Joel chapter two, he wrote about the descent of the Holy Spirit. In chapter three, he wrote about Armageddon. He wrote about the millennial. Listen, Amos wrote about it 757 years, many perspectives of prophecy. Amos wrote about, uh, my friend, he spoke about his return, the second coming. In chapter nine, he also spoke about the millennial. Uh, listen, Hosea in chapter three, he talked about the return of the Jews uh, going back to their own homeland. Micah spoke about it in 750 BC. He spoke about the birth of Christ in chapter five. He spoke about the millennial in chapter four. What about Isaiah? Isaiah spoke about everything just about it. Isaiah spoke about his birth uh, in chapter six, uh, in chapter seven, in chapter nine, in chapter 11. He spoke about the cross in chapter chapter 50. He spoke about it vividly in chapter 53. He spoke about the second coming in chapter 14. He wrote about the great tribulation in chapter 2. He wrote about the Armageddon in chapter 26. He wrote about the millennial in chapter 38, in chapter 11 and in chapter 2. And he wrote about Israel becoming the head of the nations and new heavens and a new earth in chapter 60, in chapter 65 and in chapter 66. God gave many perspectives of prophecy. Right. Jeremiah wrote about his birth in chapter 31 and verse 15. He wrote about his return in chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. Ezekiel wrote about the return of the Jews to their homeland, in chapter 20, in chapter 34, in chapter 36, in chapter 37. He wrote about the Antichrist in chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. He wrote about Armageddon in chapter 39, for 29 verses. He wrote about the millennial in chapter 36, in verse number 33, and again in chapter 40. Daniel wrote about the cross in chapter Dan- Daniel chapter nine. He wrote about the times of the Gentiles in chapter two. Haggai wrote about it, Zechariah, wrote about it, Malachi wrote about it. Nahum wrote about it, Zephaniah wrote about, it. Habakkuk wrote about it. we'd be here all night if I was to give reference after reference of all the prophecy, they could see the birth, they could see the cradle they could see the cross, they could see the crown, they knew the king was coming, they were looking for the kingdom they could see it, many perspectives of prophecy when we get to our text Paul is going to show us something else. He's gonna show us the missing piece in Jewish prophecy. The mountain peaks of prophecy, the many perspectives of prophecy throughout the Old Testament, but there was one piece that those Jews could not see. They could see the cradle, they could see the cross, they could see the second coming, the millennial, the crown, there's one piece they could not see. It was a mystery. You say, well, what is that? It's us. (laughs) It's the church. It's what Paul's talking about in the book of Ephesians. Isn't that amazing? They could see everything else, but they couldn't see the church. Now, the answer is in our text. God hid it from them. But is that not amazing? I want to preach a few minutes tonight on the missing link in Jewish history or Jewish prophecy. The missing link in Jewish prophecy. Oh, listen, with all that they could see, with all the perspectives that they had, with all the prophecy that was been given, the covenant, the blessings with all that Israel and the Jews had, they could not see the church. And God raised up the apostle Paul, and Paul is about to take the key of grace in this chapter, and he's about to unlock one of the greatest mysteries in all the word of God. He's about to unveil the church as a mystery. I'm telling you tonight, we ought to be so thankful. We ought to be shouting it out. We ought to be beside ourselves that we are a part of the church, hallelujah. Amen. You wanna say, tonight? tonight I wanna say, We are living a dream, when you think about it. You're in the church tonight. And Paul, in this chapter, he talks about in these first nine verses, he talks about this great enlightenment. As he says in verse number one, Paul, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Paul was a prisoner for the truth. For what he had just wrote about in chapter two, that wall being broken down between the Jew and the Gentile, there being no difference, the same Lord being rich over all, it had caused Paul to have to go to prison. He was a prisoner for the truth. But I'll tell you, he wasn't just a prisoner for the truth, for these Gentiles. He was a prisoner of the truth. Look what he said in verse number two. If you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word how that my revelation he made known. unto me the mystery as I wrote a four and few words whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Do you realize uh, Paul got to preaching, uh, my friend, that the grace of God had lit the lamp of the gospel uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, He started telling them, hey, there's no more difference between the Jew and the Greek. Uh, uh, The same Lord is rich over all, as I've said, and the plate has slid our way and now you can get in just like They can get in. He suffered great persecution, but Paul never saw himself as a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar or a prisoner of anybody else. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was a prisoner of the truth. He was a prisoner for the truth, amen. Paul was held captive by love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the love of Christ constraineth me. You know tonight, it's easy to live for God when you love God. That's why the world wants to steal that love. When you give your heart to the world, you know what happens? You have a hard time serving God. But when you give your heart wholeheartedly to Him and you love Him, service is not very hard. You are serving because you love Him, amen? And I wanna say Paul was a prisoner of the truth. He was a prisoner for the truth. He was, Paul was a partner in the truth. Look at verse number five. He said, while in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, it was concealed as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it was concealed before, but it's being revealed now. You see, my friend, they couldn't see the church in the Old Testament, but we have the church today. The church is alive and the church my friend was born and the church is marching on Uh, you know what age this is Uh, it's the grace age Uh, it's the grace dispensation but it's also the church age amen I'm glad I'm a part of the church age Uh, brother I'm telling you uh, I'm glad I got a church to go to I'm glad I got a place to worship I want to say if God is doing anything through preaching through this book you know what he's doing he's calling to our attention as a church uh, in a day when people don't want to have church, we need to be reminded this is the great mystery and we need to magnify the church, hallelujah. Make much of the church. Plan your schedule around the church. That's not popular preaching, but it's still the right kind of preaching. Isn't that right? You don't have a birthday party when we're having church. Somebody say amen. Isn't that right? If it's Sunday, you can do it between services. But listen, you go to church, you don't, you don't stay out of church and watch a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game, a NASCAR race. Somebody say man. I'm telling you, listen, you don't fish on Sunday during church. You don't hunt on Sunday during church. You don't go yard selling during church. Somebody say man. You don't go to the mall during church. No, listen, you plan church. You plan your schedule around church. Amen. Is that right? Amen. When the church has a who will go meeting, <laughs> yeah. you wipe everything off your schedule. Amen. Oh, but preacher, I promise you I'm gonna be there Monday night. No, you gotta be there every night. Amen. Unless you're in the hospital sick and dying, yeah. come on to church. Yeah, you say, that's too narrow-minded. No, it's not narrow enough. Well, I'm telling you, churches are dying across this country today because people don't take the attendance seriously. And I think I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah, our church does very well about attendance. And I appreciate that tonight as your pastor. But you've got to keep preaching that, don't you? you got to keep, I need it in front of me. The young people coming up, they need to know. Listen, the great miss, one of the great mysteries of the Bible is the church. And you're a part of the church. If you're saved, you're sitting in the church. Always be thankful for the church. It's the greatest thing you got going outside your home. And thank God for your church. Pray for your church. Love your church. Give to your church. Be a partner of the truth of the church. Uh, Get involved in your church. Amen. It doesn't make no difference Uh, if it's picking up paper off the floor or what it is. uh, You know, we don't have to have a time. We don't have to have a trophy to be a partner in the church. There's always work to do. There's always a job to do. Just be glad to be in the church. Partner of the truth. And then Paul was a preacher of the truth. I like this. Look at verse 7. He said, Wherefore? He said, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which is given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Paul in verse number seven, he talks about the working of this truth as a preacher. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to what? The gift of the grace of God. Do you know when God calls a man to preach? Number one, that's a gift. There's 20 122 gifts, I think, in the Bible. 11 of them active, and other 11 inactive, something like that. We don't have apostles and we don't have the gift of prophecy and those things anymore. We know that, the gift of tongues. We, we don't have those gifts anymore, but those are there's active gifts that the Bible talks about and the way you define them. They're speaking gifts, they're serving gifts and they're sign gifts. That's how those gifts are, are defined. But in those speaking gifts, it's in Ephesians chapter four. So you get some apostles and prophets and, and evangelists and, and teachers or, or pastors. That's what it was. And so those gifts are mentioned there. And some, as I've said, are active or inactive. But I want to tell you to be a God called preacher is a gift. And it's a gift to never take lightly. It's a lifetime calling. It's not only a gift, but it's grace. Paul said that he counted me faithful and put me in the ministry. You know, God has to call a man to preach, you can't volunteer. I was sitting in a service years ago and a great man of God was up preaching and another great man of God was sitting about three seats in front of me and this man of God that was up preaching, I mean, I'm saying he's a man of God, but he started telling about that he was never really called to preach and I thought he was a preacher. I've always heard him preach, but he said, I never was called to preach. He said, I just just started doing it. Well, this other man of God sitting in front of me he stood up and he said, well, sit down and let somebody who's called and got up and walked out. I did like a good Baptist. I kept looking back and forth saying, man, what's, a fight gonna break out? Why don't y'all act so spiritual? I'm like, what's gonna happen here? But a man of God's gotta be called. He's gotta be sent from God. He doesn't, he doesn't have to be, and I'm gonna tell you, if you're called, you never really feel like you're, Qualified. I'm not talking about meeting the qualifications. I'm talking about we never feel like we're capable of doing it. Young preachers, you need to learn ethics. Amen. You need to learn what it is to be. uh, If God's called you, learn some ethics. Learn. Uh, Listen, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use both of them the way he gave them to you. Learn to listen in your youth. Amen. Learn to be. Don't feel like you know everything. Don't feel like you've got it all together. If God uses you, that's wonderful. But remember that it's just a gift and that it's grace and that if he don't touch us, nothing's going to happen. Amen. I mean, sometimes we preach and we feel that touch. Sometimes we preach and we don't feel that touch. Sometimes we don't know if we ever had that touch or not. We just have to preach. It's all up to him. He has to do the work and we're just the mouthpiece. We can't see what God is doing. I want to say tonight, Paul was, a preacher, and Paul talks about the working of it, of this truth. I want to tell you, God still calls men to preach, don't he? Amen. And when God calls a man to preach, uh, he puts a desire in that man's heart. While I'm on the subject, let me say this, don't build a platform for yourself. uh, Don't try to put yourself out there. You listen, you know what young preachers need to do? They need to do what Elijah did, and what God told Elijah, go hide yourself. Hide yourself. Don't try to show yourself. Hide yourself. Go get by a brook Cherith and get along with God in solitude. And when it's time, God will send you forth. Is that right? Hide yourself. The working, God works it in. He was a preacher of the truth. God, even the apostle Paul, had moments of solitude And ministry in the New Testament was never measured by success. You know what it was measured by? The amount of suffering. That's right. We live in a day that's so different today. It's not about a successful ministry. I want to tell you, great Christians, go think, think about Paul. What's Paul known for? He's known for his suffering. What was Peter known for? His suffering. As Christians, if any man suffer, As a Christian, suffering is not something that we welcome. But suffering, we're never more like Jesus than when we're we're suffering. We're most like Christ. The working, the wonder of it, look at verse number eight, this mystery. He talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know that word unsearchable means untrackable. I wanna tell you tonight, isn't it amazing that God took us Gentiles and formed a bride, his bride. We're not going to be the bride. We are the bride. Amen. Amen. The groom has gone away. He's preparing a place. Oh, there he said in my father's house are many mansions, but he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place for his bride. And tonight, when you think about the unsearchable riches of Christ, we were just Gentiles. We were outcasts, as I said this morning. But think about it. We're rich in Jesus tonight. We have everything. We're rich in Christ. Hey, the things of this world, the gold, the silver, the diamonds, and the rubies of this world, you know what's gonna happen? They're all gonna tarnish and fade away. I wanna tell you, living for God tonight, it all counts, amen, if your motive is right and you serve him. I wanna tell you, eternity, the judgment seat is going to pay great dividends. When he talked about the material that a man's life is built upon, You know, he talked about gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. Six things. Three of them are non-perishable and three of them are perishable that gold represents its purity it represents true worship God is pure, God is holy it's the highest of all metals and it represents true worship that wood represents false worship it represents humanity and when that wood was taken into the uh, taken in the tabernacle it had to be overlaid with gold, isn't that right and it speaks of deity, that holiness that gold represents God that, that wood represents man I'm going to tell you our life is going to be put into uh, put in the fire and the fire is going to try the works, it represents true worship and false worship. You say, But, preacher, we're not Mormons and we're not Catholics. No. But I want to tell you something tonight. When we worship, when you sing a song, if it's not done out of a pure motive to honor and glorify God, it's wood. If you preach a sermon and it's to show intellect, if it's to build ego, if it's to to elevate the flesh, there's no purity in it. There's no gold about it. It's not true worship. It's just wood. You preach a sermon, and you got a good outline, and you preach to get another preaching appointment or a pat on the back or or to be seen or to get your face on a poster somewhere or for somebody else other than God to say, you did well. It's just wood. Burn up in the judgment. That's silver... Is that metal of redemption that Leviticus spoke about. It represents witness. But you know that hay. Hay's not a bad thing. You You can feed an animal with hay. But there's no eternal value in hay. You're taking, it speaks of humanitarian efforts. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. But Jesus, he fed the poor. But he said, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with feeding the poor, nothing wrong with with medical teams the church being involved in in helping in humanitarian efforts, but if that's all we give them is something earthly and we don't do something eternal, all that's going to burn up at the judgment seat because it doesn't do anything eternally. There's no eternal value to hay, but that silver, that's that witness, that's that redemption, that's giving the gospel, amen? It has to do with witness. That straw, that stubble, and that Precious stone has to do with our life. You take brick, is made out of stubble. And one brick right after another speaks of an ordinary life that all looks the same. But that precious stone, that precious stone speaks of a life that's been handcrafted and hand, hand cut by the master. I'm simply saying this tonight. That's what makes up the church. Our life tonight, the mystery of the church of the Gentiles is that our life, the the working of it, the wonder of it tonight, the wealth of it, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Isn't it amazing the fellowship of this mystery tonight that God could bring all of us together from all different backgrounds and all different ways of life, but he brings us all together, and we're family, and we love each other, and we care for each other, and we pray for each other. Hey, the people of God will walk together when no one else to walk with you. Do you realize that? The people of God will stand together when everything else is falling. You can take them to the stake. You can take them to the rack. You can feed them to the lions. You can throw them in the pit. But you know what? The word of God will grow and multiply and the converts will multiply and the church will not get weaker under persecution. It only gets stronger. It only gets better. You know why? Because it's not an organization. It's a living organism and you can't stomp out the church Nero and all of his army and the Roman army couldn't get rid of the church. That Listen, Nero's dead in hell and Rome has fallen, but the church is still marching on. The church will go on. Oh, bless his name. Thank God for the church, hallelujah. The wealth of it, the enjoyment, the enlightenment, the enjoyment of it. Look at verse number 10. He talks about the manifold wisdom of God in verse number 10 the majestic purpose of God in verse number 11 and the marvelous love of God in verse number 12. As he said in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. I want to tell you tonight, I've never been more excited to be a member of Bible Baptist Church than I am right now tonight. I believe with all my heart And I'm not just making a statement. I'm not just preaching. But I really believe this tonight. I believe the greatest days for this church is ahead. I believe that. You say, why do you believe believe that, preacher? I believe it by faith. I remember when I came to this church, I remember Brother Cape stood behind the pulpit and he read a verse And I've never forgotten that verse. It was the first time that he had came back to this church to preach. And he read a verse that if I could just find the place tonight, it made such a lasting effect that I can't even find it. How about that? I can quote it to you. Some of it. But I want to get it all. He read it to, and I'm looking right at it in here somewhere. Well, it's going to be a Bible study for you tonight. I want you to go home read second John, third John. And um, Oh, here it is. Thank you, Lord. It's 3 John in verse 2. It's the first thing he said when he got in the pulpit 23 and a half years ago. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He read that verse. I don't know, the Holy Ghost just hung it on my heart. Because after 37 years of pastoring this church, you know what his desire was? To see it prosper to see God bless him. I want to tell you 23 and a half years later, I can tell you tonight my desire is the same as that man of God. I want to see God bless his church like he's never blessed it before, don't you? I I want to see him bless it financially. I want to see him bless it numerically, but I want to see him bless it spiritually. I want God to open the windows of heaven on this church, not for me, not for you, but for one reason tonight, that God be praised, that God be glorified. That in a dark hour, when many have compromised and many have sold out and surrendered, that somebody could still say, you know, I know where there's an oasis in the desert. I know where there's a place beside the road. I know where there's a place. If you want to still hear some preaching without apology, Where you wanna hear some saints still sing and still shout. Where well, you want to uh, go to a place where they still pass out tracts and they still give the gospel, where they're still preaching from the King James Bible and they're still sending out missionaries uh, and they're still sending the gospel around the world. I know of a place uh, where they've not compromised and they've not changed. Uh, oh, would it be said that our children and our children's children could still grow up uh, in the light of the word of God uh, and old time religion would still be shining bright uh, In a dark hour, I want to tell you there's not enough demons and there's not enough devils and there's not enough politicians and there's not enough liberals to stomp out the church. Thank God she's always been a mystery and she always will be a mystery. But I'm glad I'm in it tonight. I'm glad I'm a part of it tonight. Thank God I'm glad I'm in the church. I say thank God for that old-fashioned church. Brother Laddie. I'm glad. You've been in it a long time But there is no place I, I like the church tonight Hallelujah Praise God Don't you thank God for your church and Tonight as we stand I'll Tell you what we need to do We need to hold her up in prayer Amen This church needs My prayers and your prayers More than she's ever needed God, I believe it's gonna open the windows of heaven on this church. I tell you, they've been a stirring for weeks in my soul. I can't even put it in words, but I tell you, every time I go the Lord, He tells me the same thing. And He gives me just a little more light on some things. And I believe with all my heart, there's no telling what God's gonna do. Young people, you give God your all tonight. Serve Jesus like you've never served Him. Sell out, surrender. Go all the way with God. Don't be half in, half out. Just go all the way with God. You're in such a good place. I tell you, you got a good church. God's let you have a heritage sitting all around you. You give it 100%. 100% to God. Live clean, live pure, live dedicated. Pray that God sends you the right person and wait on them. Let's let it all be in the will of God. You'll never be sorry. You'll never be sorry.